Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, guys. Happy Murder in the News Monday. So you know why we're here. You guys knocked it out of the park again, sending me all the articles. I didn't have to find a single one. So thanks again to everyone who sends me these articles. So, you know, we're just going to see what's going on, what's fucked up in the world in the news. Okay, so here we go. First article is from people.com and the title reads human head and hands discovered at newly sold Colorado home say the authorities investigators believe this is an isolated incident and there is no ongoing threat to the community thank god now on Netflix inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie hitman from academy award nominee Richard Linklater at 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. So authorities confirmed that human remains discovered at a recently sold home in Colorado consisted of a head and hands. The Mesa County Sheriff's Office said in a January 15th news release that deputies were summoned on January 12th to the 2900 block of Pinion Avenue in the Grand Junction area over a suspicious incident. According to authorities, the newly purchased property was being cleaned when, quote, possible human remains were discovered. Um, going down. Okay, quote, investigators believe this is an isolated incident and there is no ongoing threat to the community, the sheriff's office said at the time. The sheriff's office offered an updated release to people regarding the case, which is now being characterized as a homicide. So they think someone removed the head and hands rather than the person do it to themselves. Quote, the autopsy by the Mesa County coroner's office occurred yesterday and has confirmed the human remains found at the address on Pinion Avenue on January 12th are a human head and human hands, the office said in their statement. It was further noted that the office will have no other additional information until further testing is finished, citing that these types of tests take time. Quote, a thorough and detailed investigation is the top priority of the Mesa County Sheriff's Office, authorities said in the aforementioned, no aforementioned, updated release. Our hope is to positively identify the victim while remaining respectful to the victim and the victim's family. CBS affiliate KCNC reported that video footage from the scene showed investigators wearing hazmat-like suits. A neighbor, Sam, told NBC affiliate KUSA that the previous residents of the home moved out in the morning and the new owners arrived later to clean up the place. Quote, it turns out that the new owners of the house posted online that they were looking to sell a bunch of the garbage that was left behind, scrap metal and things that people could repurpose. And there was a deep freezer that was posted up for grabs. So neighbor Sam added that the people who dropped by to pick up the freezer visited her home and asked if they could use her bathroom. Sam is a she, not a he. Quote, I let them in and cautiously I was like, what's going on? And they continued to tell me that they opened the freezer to empty it so they could transport it. And they said a head fell out. A human head! Exclamation point. 
the sheriff's office appealed to the public to reach out to the authorities with any information about the case. Well, I would question the people that freaking lived there before and see if any of their household members are missing. Boy, that sounded salty. Anyway, so our next article comes from investigationdiscovery.com, and the title reads, Georgia lawyer convicted of fraud murders mother before going on lamb. It's shocking beyond description, the brother of convicted killer Richard Merritt says of the case. So what appeared to be the perfect family was torn apart after a man whose own brother called him a master manipulator killed their mother and then went on the run. During part of his childhood, Richard Merritt lived in the lap of luxury in Saudi Arabia with his parents, Shirley and Robert Sr., after Robert Sr. retired from the military and began a much more lucrative career with a defense contractor. Quote, that was a very impressionable time for Richard, notes Robert Merritt Jr., now 58, who was in graduate school when his nine years younger sibling and their parents moved across the world. Quote, he had it in his head. He liked that lifestyle. According to Robert, his brother's manipulative behavior started early on and worsened over the years. In ninth grade, Richard moved to Atlanta to live with Robert so he could continue his education. Robert notes that he was stuck at the time acting as his entitled brother's, quote, cook, driver, and houseboy. In the early 90s, Robert Sr. and Shirley also moved back to Georgia, excuse me, and Robert Sr. retired. Years later, Richard, who went on to study law, married his college sweetheart and at first struggled to get his career off the ground. According to Robert, his brother was lazy and failed the bar multiple times. On his third attempt, however, Richard passed, allowing him to pursue his dream of becoming filthy rich and a jet setter, Robert said. In November 2000, Robert Sr. died suddenly while on a trip with his wife, Shirley. The grieving widow threw herself into spending time with her grandchildren and rebuilding her life. So meanwhile, Richard had gone on to work for the Georgia Attorney General's office and then to multiple law firms. His high-powered career allowed him to rub shoulders with Atlanta's elite travel and live the good life with success and all the trappings. In 2003, Richard moved with his expanding family to Smyrna, Georgia. There, Richard and his wife raised their son and daughter, and seven years later, he opened his own law firm. So with his seemingly burgeoning success, Richard appeared to have created the ideal life. But in May 2017, that veneer of perfection shattered when he received a court summons after returning from a family vacation. According to prosecutors, the lawyer had settled a lawsuit for two sisters who were clients, but unbeknownst to them, he had pocketed their $70,000 settlement check. Investigators looking into Richard's practice also determined he may have defrauded up to 17 victims and stolen over $450,000. Not only did Richard lose his law license and livelihood as a result, his wife also filed for divorce and fought for custody of their children. Despite the criminal allegations against him, Richard's devoted mother, Shirley, uh, stood by his side, bailing him out of the DeKalb County Jail and paying his legal fees. Quote, my mother begged for them to let him stay with her, 
Robert recalls, of Richard's housing arrangements while awaiting trial. She was going to protect him and help him. I think that was a huge mistake. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. In January 2019, Richard pleaded guilty to the fraud charges against him. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and ordered to compensate his victims. The judge on the case granted Richard two weeks to get his affairs in order before reporting to prison on the conditions he wear an ankle monitor and remain with his mother, Shirley, at her DeKalb County home. On the day he was to surrender to authorities, Richard failed to turn himself in. According to reports, investigators analyzed data from Richard's ankle monitor and they later found in a trash can, they found it in a trash can at a gas station. So that means Richard Merritt had gone on the run. A day later, on February 2nd, 2019, 77-year-old Shirley was found brutally murdered in her own home. Quote, it's shocking beyond description, Robert says, explaining his mother was stabbed so savagely that the knife handle broke and the blade was left embedded in her face. Guys, a bloody 35-pound barbell was found near the elderly victim's body. Richard, who was immediately a suspect in his mother's slaying, managed to elude authorities for the next eight months. But in September 2019, he was located in Nashville, Tennessee, living under the assumed name Mick Malvo. Mick Malvo, guys. Did he want to be a porn star? During his time on the lam, he had managed to find a job and a new girlfriend. An investigation determined that Richard owed his mother a total of about half a mil. Robert says he believes his mother, no, his brother, manipulated and bullied Shirley for financial gain. Quote, he did to my mother exactly what he has done to his clients. End quote. Charged with his mother's murder in Georgia, Richard pleaded not guilty in May of 23. At the end of his trial, the jury deliberated for just an hour and a half before returning a guilty verdict. Richard, now 49, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Robert says he has absolutely no pity for his younger sibling. He said, quote, I think he deserves to be where he is. I think he can sit there and think about this for the rest of his life. I hate to tell you, Robert, dearest brother, he does not care. He's pissed off that he's in jail, but he's not going to sit and, and you know, fester in his guilt because he doesn't have any, I assure you. He adds, the absolute lack of respect and the clear disdain he has shown for his family, his mother, his father's memory is unforgivable, end quote. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. But I can tell you right now, that guy could not possibly give a flying fuck. Our next article comes from dailymail.co.uk. Title reads, Brooklyn woman is detained after cops find severed head and multiple body parts in her freezer. This must be a trend. A Brooklyn woman has been detained after a severed head and multiple body parts were found in her freezer. Heather Steins, 45, was detained on Monday night after cops received a tip about the grisly find. Steins has not been charged. It's unclear who the body parts belong to, and DNA testing is underway. It's understood the body parts have been removed from the apartment. NYPD confirmed that they were called to the Brooklyn apartment on 
uh, Nostrand, Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn at 7.10 p.m. Once there, officers observed an unconscious and unresponsive, unidentified male inside the apartment. EMS responded and pronounced the aided deceased on the scene, NYPD said in a statement. The medical examiner will determine the cause of death and the investigation remains ongoing. It's unclear how long Steins has lived in the apartment for, but neighbors told DailyMail.com on Tuesday that Steins' home had been broken into at least twice. Um, Steins' elderly aunt, Amy, expressed her shock and horror at the news when reached Tuesday by DailyMail.com. Quote, oh God, I just can't fathom this, the 79-year-old from Kentucky said. She said her niece has had long-standing drug problems and moved from Kentucky several years ago, hoping to escape her problems. According to the aunt, Heather was living with her husband in an apartment in Brooklyn and was earning some money cleaning apartments. She said she reached out to her niece on Sunday to see how she was and catch up on things, but got no response. Heather's husband, Nicholas McGee, has been in a Chesapeake, Virginia jail since September after he was accused of trying to cash a fraudulent check in a bank, a relative told DailyMail.com. McGee was due to appear in court Tuesday morning, his sister-in-law, Catherine McGee, 55, said. Now, she told the Daily Mail that the couple were both drug abusers who'd used heroin and crack and been arrested multiple times. She said Heather relapsed a year or two ago after learning that one of her daughters had died of a drug overdose. The sister-in-law said that she had yet to speak with Nicholas about the police investigation. Quote, he's going to be fucking devastated because he's coming out of jail and she's possibly going into jail for a possible murder, she said. Daryl, who lives across the hall from Steins in the Brooklyn block and sometimes loaned her cash, said he knew she was a drug addict and people tried to break into her apartment at least twice looking for money that she owed for drugs. He said he last saw McGee, who was, quote, a cool guy in the last week of August. Uh, quote, they got into an argument one night and I haven't seen him since, the neighbor said. A couple of days later, she said, my husband got locked up. I don't have a food stamp card. Do you have $10? And I said, sure. A couple of days ago, she said, detectives were here looking for my husband, and I told them he was in jail. She's cool as hell. I would never expect she'd have a head in her freezer. Hell no. End quote. Another couple who lived in the building said Steins was so addicted to crack and heroin. She had sold everything of value in her apartment, even her TV. Quote, she's what we call a garbage can addict. She'll do any drugs, they said. Heather is one of the people bringing this building down. Nobody would be sad if she went to jail, end quote. The couple said Steins recently started hanging out with a short black man with dreadlocks whom she was seen with frequently as recently as The weekend. Stein's aunt Amy said her niece had several children from prior relationships. Uh, that is, several children from prior relationships, just want to reiterate that, who were taken away from her. Because anyone that chooses drugs over their kids, fucking forget it. And as far as this aunt knew, Child Protective Services took the kids away after finding her to be neglectful. Quote, the worst I know of is she lost her children because somebody reported them sleeping on the floor because she didn't have any beds, the aunt said. 
She said she threw the beds away because of bed bugs. They slept on pallets. My husband said, let's go buy them some beds. And the next thing we knew, she didn't have the kids, she added. She went to live with her cousin, then stole her computer. She also stole some money from me and my husband. She would just run off. You couldn't do anything with her. Even though she was bad, she was sweet, the aunt said. She was nice as can be. A few years back, the aunt recalled, Heather said she had to get away from here. And I said, you think New York is better than here? I told her there's more drugs in New York. She said she was going to come back here to Kentucky at some point, and I was going to let her stay with me, she continued. But she never did come back. She'd text me over the years at times for money. I'd always ask if she's in trouble, and she'd say, no, just running low. The old building with Flatbush Court engraved above the always unlocked door was poorly maintained with graffiti on the walls and chips all through the lobby's plaster. Most of the shops nearby are boarded up and piles of trash bags line both sides of the door. That's the end of that article. Why does meth and, and crack and st why does that even have to be a thing? Our next article comes from WSPA.com, 7 News, and the title reads, Spartanburg County Man Falls Victim to Bail Scam, Spartanburg, South Carolina. A Spartanburg County man fell victim to a bail scam Monday. According to the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office, deputies took a report for a scam. The victim said he received a phone call from who he thought was his grandson, stating he was in jail in Charleston due to a crash and needed bail money. The victim, thinking the caller was his grandson, sent the caller $875 and received a tracking number. The victim then told deputies that he received another call stating he needed to send $1,445 more money, which he did. After sending the money, the victim called his grandson, who stated it was not him who called. That's the end of that article. <clears throat> so, uh, I do this, and I certainly hope that the rest of you do, or most of you do. If you see an, an elder person, you know, buying a bunch of gift cards and crap, like, you know, it's kind of okay to try to help them see that they're getting scammed, because, it, you know... This scammer shit just really pisses me off. I'm, that's another soapbox I'm not going to get on. The next article comes from NBCnews.com, and the title reads, Six bodies found at remote crossroads in California's Mojave Desert. Deputies responding to a request for a wellness check reached the area off Highway 395 outside the community of El Mirage around 8.15 p.m. Tuesday and found five dead bodies. The sixth was found Wednesday morning. <clears throat> so deputies found the bodies of six people at a remote dirt crossroads in the Mojave Desert in Southern California, a scene described as so grisly that TV stations blurred some of the images captured by their helicopters overhead. San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputies responding to a request for a wellness check reached the area off Highway 395, outside the community of El Mirage around 8.15 p.m. Tuesday and found five of the bodies. The sixth was found Wednesday morning, Sheriff's spokesperson, spokesperson Mara Rodriguez said. Details about their identities, including sex and age, were not immediately available, according to NBC Los Angeles. It makes me think maybe it's cartel. Of course, I have been kind of bitching narcos. 
So moving on. Authorities were still gathering evidence to determine what happened, and Rodriguez said they could not even say how the people died or whether they had been shot. Hmm. The area, about 50 miles northeast of Los Angeles and about 20 miles northwest of Victorville, is so remote that the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department called in help from the California Highway Patrol's Aviation Division to find the scene, Rodriguez said. And the picture that I'm seeing of the place is just like, I mean, there's, it's literally nothing with like just a dirt crossroads. It's crazy. So, quote, it'll be several hours still before we are ready for anybody to be removed from the scene, she said, adding that the coroner's investigators will be called in then. TV crews arriving at the scene Tuesday night reported seeing two vehicles there. Overheard footage from TV stations showed a dark blue SUV with a passenger window blown out and another door open with part of the image blurred. A silver minivan was also at the scene. The footage showed several yellow markers near the dirt crossroads in scrubby desert land that stretched for miles. Yellow tape blocked access from the nearest paved road. Members of the department's specialized investigations division were brought in to conduct a homicide investigation, according to an email from sheriff's spokesperson, Gloria Huerta. I think they just need to call Uncle Hank. Shout out to uh, Breaking Bad. Okay, where is the next one? This is definitely not the next one. You guys just like literally listening to my insanity. Okay, the next one comes from MiamiHerald.com. And the title reads, Mystery lingers as woman's body... Uh, don't pop up. As woman's body found by road, husband's truck burned... Florida cops say. So a missing woman was found dead on the side of the road one day after her husband's truck was found burning in Florida, a sheriff said. Amber Renee Estep, 39, was reported missing on January 19th by her mother when she missed multiple shifts at work, Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey said in a January 25th Facebook video. Deputies interviewed Estep's husband, Brian, the same day, the sheriff said. Brian told investigators he had last seen his wife on January 16th when the two were driving back home from a medical appointment in Merritt Island, and they started to argue, according to the sheriff. Oh, yep, 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 here we go. Sorry, I'm in the closet of shame, and it's squished in here. Um, they started to argue. Okay, so Brian said Amber demanded to be let out of the vehicle, so... He dropped her off on Interstate 95. I call bullshit. Raise your hand if you call bullshit. Uh, just a few hours later, multiple people called the sheriff's office and others posted videos online of a vehicle on fire in Port St. John, Ivy said. The sheriff's office confirmed it was Brian's truck and it was completely engulfed in flames, according to the sheriff. Ivy said the department is working with fire marshals to determine how the fire started and the circumstances surrounding the fire. On the afternoon of January 20th, a property owner off State Road 46 in Mims found Amber Estep's body just off the road. Her death was ruled a homicide. 
Ivy did not identify a potential suspect and said the investigation is ongoing. When asked to clarify Brian's whereabouts following the discovery of his wife's body, Public Information Officer Todd Goodyear told McClatchy News, We do know where Mr. Estep is and agents have been in contact with him, but said he could not comment further as the investigation is active. Quote, She was a sweet and loving young woman who was taken from this world before her time. Her brother Sean Leet wrote on a GoFundMe page, Nobody deserves to go through anything like this. The family is devastated by this horrific tragedy. And then it says Mims is about 40 miles northeast of Orlando. Florida, guys, I'm telling you. Our next article comes from SpaceCoastDaily.com. And it says Brevard County Sheriff's Office provides update on homicide investigation. Authorities later positively identified the body found Amber Renee Este. Oh, this goes with the other one. She went missing January 19th when she didn't report for work. January 20th, she was found dead. No arrests have been made. Okay, so that just is with. I told you guys that's proof. I don't actually read these ahead of time. <clears throat> Our next one comes from foxnews.com. Title reads, Florida... <laughs> Florida serial killer makes jarring confession about spring break mystery. And it says an infamous serial killer tied to murders all over the country admitted to killing 18-year-old Carol Ann Barrett Barrett over 40 years ago, police said. Her body was found in a ditch along Interstate 95 in Jacksonville, Florida on March 24, 1980. A day earlier, the Ohio native had been enjoying spring break in Daytona Beach when she was kidnapped from her motel. For decades, all law enforcement had was her body and a sketch of the suspect based on interviews with Barrett's friends. The case went cold until about 2017. Billy Mansfield Jr., 65, who killed at least five women and girls coast to coast, admitted that he was the suspect in the sketch the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office said on Tuesday, uh, Thursday. Hang on a second. He killed at least five women and girls coast to coast. Five, okay? An infamous serial killer tied to murders all over the country. That was a little sensationalized. I just, I, you know, I noticed those kinds of things. You know, oh, this infamous... I mean, he killed five. He killed five girls, and don't kill people. But you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. You gotta have a little dark humor. But anyway, Mansfield finally copped to the killing and abduction in September of 2022, after two years worth of interviews, according to police. Quote: Billy Mansfield advised that he was in fact the suspect in the police sketch completed following the abduction. The Jacksonville Sheriff's Office said in a statement on Thursday. Quote, he went on to confess to the abduction from the Daytona Beach Shores Hotel, as well as her murder shortly thereafter. He was 24 at the time that he killed her. Since his admission, police have worked with the state attorney's office, which will not seek prosecution. The Jacksonville Sheriff's Office said. The state attorney's office in the 4th Judicial District did not immediately return Fox News Digital's request for comment. Mansfield is currently serving a life sentence in California and four concurrent life sentences in Florida for the murders of five women and girls between 75 and 80, 1975 to 1980. 
He buried the victims under his Spring Hill home along the west coast of Florida, about a two and a half hour drive across the state from Daytona Beach, where he killed Barrett. Mansfield pleaded guilty to a California murder in order to avoid the death penalty in Florida. He has been in prison since 1982. It says that he's cooperating with detectives and other jurisdictions regarding additional cold cases. I'm glad to hear that. But there's also like this tiny part of me that thinks that that they just want to close cold cases. I mean, I, I don't really want to say that, but it just kind of feels like sometimes they go. It's sort of like what they did with Otis Tool, right? Where it's like, you did this one, didn't you? Didn't you? You did, though, didn't you? I think you did. Did you? Do you remember? You know, they're just like coercing them, leading them into admitting something they might not have done to close a case. I don't know. That sounds petty. So our next article comes from People.com, and the title reads, California woman who stabbed boyfriend 108 times, sentenced to probation and community service. I got to hear this. Bryn Spazier, 32, avoided prison time after being convicted of involuntary manslaughter in the 2018 stabbing death of her boyfriend, Chad Omelia, 26. An expert at her trial testified she was suffering from cannabis-induced psychosis at the time of the attack. A California woman who was facing up to four years in prison for fatally stabbing her boyfriend more than 100 times during a drug-induced psychotic episode in 2018 was instead sentenced this week to two years probation and 100 hours of community service. I can't even wrap my mind around that. Last December, Bryn, 32, was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter in the killing of her boyfriend, Chad Omelia, 26. The Ventura County Star, the Los Angeles Times, and KTLA reported from the courtroom. She had been facing a possible four-year prison term ahead of her Tuesday sentencing hearing. On May 27, 2018, prosecutors said she fatally stabbed her boyfriend, who was an accountant, inside his Thousand Oaks, California apartment approximately 108 times after the couple had smoked marijuana together, the Ventura County Star reported. She also repeatedly stabbed herself. According to the Ventura County Star, police officers who responded to the scene said they found her in a pool of blood holding a knife. They reportedly had to use a taser device and a baton to disarm her and take her into custody. Wow. Okay. During the trial, a medical expert testified that her behavior was the result of cannabis-induced psychosis, the LA Times reported. According to the National Library of Medicine... A diagnosis of the disorder is given when hallucinations or delusions materialize shortly after consuming cannabis. Her defense attorneys claimed that their client was, quote, involuntarily intoxicated and that Omelia, the boyfriend, had allegedly bullied and intimidated her into smoking the last bit of marijuana. I don't know if I believe that... Omelia's family faced her in court at Tuesday's sentencing hearing where she expressed remorse for her behavior. Quote, my actions have ripped your family apart, she said. I am broken and aching inside. I hurt that you never see Chad again. She hurts. 
quote, end quote. So Shane Omelia, the victim's brother, grieved his loved one at the hearing and shared the difficulties of knowing she had been out on bail since her arrest in 2018. <clears throat> quote, it's been five and a half years where she has got to live with her family and we get to live with a box of ashes, Shane said. Ouch, but you know, truth, preach, he served. Ventura County Superior Court Judge David Worley defended his decision to sentence her to no prison time. Quote, from that point forward, she had no control over her actions, he said, referring to the moments after she had smoked the portion of marijuana. Her attorney, Michael Goldstein, agreed, calling the sentence a fair and accurate reflection of conduct that he claims was out of his client's control, according to the L.A. Times. A hundred and eight times. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've really dug and studied all of the different ways that cannabis can be negative for people. I mean, I know that there are just some who can't partake, so to speak. But so I, I'm not going to sit here and say she didn't have cannabis induced psychosis. I can't say that. Right. Not the expert. But 108 times and stabbing herself. I would love to know what delusions she was experiencing in order to do that. That's horrible. And no, no jail time anyway. Really? I don't know, guys. That, that one's kind of weird. But on to the next one. So this comes from the BBC.com. And it says, Robert Corfield, ex-minister of secretive sect, admits to child sex abuse. Okay, here we go. Buckle in. Robert Corfield, a man who abused a boy in Canada in a secretive Christian church in the 1980s, has spoken publicly about what happened for the first time. He was confronted by the BBC as part of a wider look into claims of child sexual abuse spanning decades within the church, known as, quote, the truth. His name is one of more than 700 given by people to a hotline set up to report sexual abuse within the church. Uh, 700 names. 700 names. Okay. The sect says it addresses all abuse allegations. The church, which has no official name but is often referred to as the truth or the way, is believed to have up to 100,000 members worldwide, with the majority in North America. The potential scale of the abuse has been captured through a hotline set up last year by two women who say they were also sexually abused by a church leader when they were children. People have phoned in claiming they too were abused, with testimonies stretching back decades through to present day. The highly secretive and insular nature of the church has helped abuse to thrive, say former and current insiders who spoke to the BBC. It has many unwritten rules, including that followers must marry within the group and keep mixing with outsiders to a minimum. The church was founded in Ireland by a Scottish evangelist in 1897 and is built around ministers spreading New Testament teachings through word of mouth. One of its hallmarks is that ministers give up their possessions and must be taken in by church members as they travel around, spreading the Gospels. Give up possession. Possessions. Taken in by church members. Yeah, that's, that's just a cult. 
That is legitimately just a cult. This makes children living in the homes they visit vulnerable to abuse. Well, no shit. Former church member Michael Hedett, 54, told the BBC he was abused by Robert Corfield in the 1980s from the age of 12. Quote, people called me Bob's little companion. I just felt dirty and still do, says Mr. Hedett, speaking from his home in Ottawa. After abusing him, Mr. Havitt says Mr. Corfield would force him to kneel beside him and pray. Quote, I had to work hard to get past that and find my prayer life again, he says. When confronted about the child abuse allegations by the BBC, Mr. Corfield admitted that they had taken place for about six years in the 1980s. Quote, I have to acknowledge that's true, he said. Mr. Corfield was a minister known within the sect as a worker in Saskatchewan, Canada at the time of the abuse. This is the first time he has publicly admitted to child abuse, though he has previously been confronted by church members who wrote two private letters to Mr. Havitt in 2004 and 2005, which asked for forgiveness and said he was seeing a therapist. In one letter, Mr. Corfield said he was, quote, making a list of victims. End quote. We don't want to miss anyone who has been a victim of my actions, he wrote. You know, and sidebar, it's horrible that he did that, but he's admitting it and he's trying to make amends in whatever way. And, you know, it doesn't excuse any of the behavior quite obviously, but like that takes some balls. You know, it does. It does. However, when asked about this by the BBC, Mr. Corfield said that there were no other victims in the same sense that Michael was, that part was in quotes, and that he has given two or three other teenagers massages. Abuser given fresh start. So Mr. Havitt is among a dozen people who have told the BBC that widespread abuse has been ignored or covered up in the truth the truth capitalized for decades, with some of the accused remaining in powerful positions for years. That's kind of how it is in politics and shit too, isn't it? The way his own case was dealt with by the church is a prime example, believes Mr. Havitt. He reported his abuse in 1993 to Dale Schultz, Saskatchewan's most senior church leader known as an overseer, end quote. Overseers are the most senior members of the church, and there is one for each U.S. state and Canadian province where there is an active following. But Mr. Schultz didn't go to the police and, says Mr. Havitt, violently assaulted him a few weeks later because he thought he had told others of the abuse claims. Quote, he grabbed my shoulders, yelling at me, slamming my head against a concrete pillar, says Mr. Havitt, splitting it open and causing it to bleed. Mr. Havitt says Mr. Schultz then encouraged him to leave the church, while his childhood abuser, Robert Corfield, was just moved to be a minister across the border in the U.S. state of Montana. Okay, so, but like if his bosses knew he was doing that shit, that's the stuff that bothers me. That really bothers me. Mr. Corfield told the BBC that he believed it was Mr. Schultz's decision to send him to Montana, where he remained in post for 25 years. Quote, it was suggested it would give me a fresh beginning and probably also put space between me and the victim, he said. 
Mr. Corfield was removed as minister last year after being confronted about Michael's abuse by another congregation member, according to internal church emails seen by the BBC. One email also suggested it is possible there may be additional victims. So I take back what I said. The ex-minister told the BBC that he voluntarily stepped down when the accusations of Michael were presented against him and that he had not been informed of any allegations beyond that. But see, that's just him saying, well, I haven't heard of any more allegations. When contacted by the BBC, Dale Schultz said via email that much of the information that you have received concerning me is distorted and inaccurate. However, he declined to go into any further detail. And then it says, Mr. Habit is one of more than 1,000 current and former members of the sect to have contacted a hotline set up by campaign group Advocates for the Truth. The group was founded last year by Americans Cynthia Lyles, Lauren Rose, and Sherry Autry. They say they have been given the names of more than 700 alleged perpetrators in 21 countries, including the UK, Ireland, Australia, and Russia. They plan to build cases against those on the list and take them to the police. All the women used to belong to the truth, and Lauren Rose and Sherry Autry say they were abused by the same man. That man was Mr. Rose, Ms. Rowe's father, a senior minister called Steve Rose. And it's just, yeah, that's, well, it's a cult. It's a dangerous cult hiding behind religion to abuse children. What's new? Okay, I have a few more you guys have sent, but I'll save them for the next one. It's already, we're 41 minutes in, so this is going to be our last one. And there's my reminder to take my psych meds. Everybody, don't forget to take your psych meds. This comes from yahoo.com. Title reads, Man bites woman's face after learning she got a job at a strip club, Texas cops say. I cannot wait to dive into this one. A Texas man is accused of biting a woman's nose, disfiguring her after learning she was working at a strip club, officials told news outlets. This isn't funny. The alleged attack happened in July, but the man was arrested and booked on January 26th, Bexar County court records show. Investigators say David Morin Jr., 34, broke into the woman's apartment through a window at about 1 a.m. after she ignored several phone calls from him during the day. The two started dating in December of 2022, okay? So, but Morin moved his belongings out of the apartment two weeks before this incident, KSAT reported, citing an affidavit. Morin found employment documents in the apartment, and police say he got into an argument with the woman about her working at a strip club. Morin started choking the woman, police told WOAI. He eventually let go, and she moved towards the front door, but he grabbed her again and bit her nose, tearing a piece off, according to police, the station reported. Investigators say Morin ran from the scene and the woman was hospitalized and later referred to a plastic surgeon. Following his January 26th arrest, Morin's bail was set at $75,000, records show. He's charged with aggravated assault, causing serious bodily injury. 
an attorney listed in court records did not immediately respond to McClatchy News's request for comment. McClatchy. I keep hearing that name. It's kind of funny. I'm not making fun, I promise. And that's it, guys. Sorry if this one was a little bit more dry. God, I've had a very busy weekend. I put in new flooring in my bedroom. And no, it wasn't anything fancy. It was... But anyway, got rid of the disgusting carpet. So I love me some DIY. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Those of you who did work the weekend, we, we thank you for your sacrifice. Um, I appreciated your help when I ran my errands. Um, and we got to get through this week. And we're going to do it. This is my last week with my current regular 9 to 5 job. And then I start at a new place. Um, the next, you know, not this week, but the next week. And hopefully it won't be quite as stressful, if you know, you know. So I guess that's about it. Um, just behave, be kind. You know, this is February. Spring will be here before you know it, except for the Southern Hemisphere. And then, I'm sorry, but you'll be in fall soon. So have a good week, guys. Love you. Bye.